0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's really good to join you on this glorious day where you look out the windows and the sun is just shining. I wonder if I was to ask you the question, How do you see God? I wonder how you would respond. What would be your top of the head response to that question, How do you see God? Would you even have a ready baked answer to the question? Of course, to some, God is a judge. He's just a harsh critic who's just longing for you to Slip up so he can beat you with a big stick from his cloud in the sky. To others, God is little more than a granter of wishes, a little bit like a genie in a bottle who's there to be summoned whenever we have a want or we have a need that we feel should be met. And then to others, God is altogether distant. He's kind of an out there cosmic force, something a bit like gravity. We know it's there. We don't fully understand it. Well, if you've been doing with us, uh, church with us now for a while here at CBC, you might recall that during Advent, we reminded ourselves of the mind blowing truth that God tells us to relate to Him differently. In the Bible, through the ministry of Jesus, He tells us to call Him Dad. He tells us to call Him Abba, Daddy, Father. Jesus, in His teaching, banishes this idea that. We should relate to God as some far off impersonal being who's only interested in smiting us when we do something wrong. But not only that, Scripture also says that when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and as our saviour, God has promised us that he adopts us into his family. And as he adopts us into his family, he calls us a son or a daughter. What an amazing, what a comforting truth that I should be able to say that I am a son or you're able to say I am a son or I am a daughter of the creator God, a son or a daughter of the one who threw the stars into space. As we get into our new teaching series today, my great hope for us is that we'll discover even more why it's a big deal that we can relate to God as our dad. My hope is that we'll learn just what makes him no ordinary father. We're going to be digging into various Psalms from now until the 7th of June, and we're going to be unearthing some of our heavenly father's attributes and qualities that make him exactly that, no ordinary father. Today, we're going to be turning to Psalm 104, and we'll be discovering this morning that our heavenly father is wonderfully creative. He's altogether majestic in the fullest sense of that word. And yet he calls us into a relationship of intimacy. Psalm 104 is a magnificent, magnificent account of praise to God for his creation and for who he is as creator. When I read Psalm 104, it reminds me a little bit of the Argus catalogue. I remember as a child, my sister and I would sit there for hours just looking through the catalogue, admiring all the wonderful things that were captured there in that book. But of course, God is even better. Psalm 104 is, is a catalogue, not an Argus catalogue, but a Cosmos catalogue. See what I did there? Of diverse things and they're all listed there to help in, into helpful categories. Psalm 104 is bookended with praise at the beginning and praise at the end. The first and the last verse say the same thing. Praise the Lord, O my soul. You are great. Praise the Lord. And between the two bookends of praise is the most beautiful description of creation. Everything between these two praises serves to explain why the psalmist believes that God is so great. So, if you've got a Bible, why don't you look up with me Psalm 104? If you haven't got one, you can click the little Bible tab and look up the reference. Psalm 104. And I'm just going to read to begin with the first opening four verses. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You're clothed with splendour and with majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and he lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and he rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers. Flames of fire are his servants. Aren't the opening words of this psalm just brilliant? In the first verse of this psalm, the the psalmist is summonsing himself to sing praises to God. I imagine him climbing out of bed, flinging wide the curtains. And as his sleepy eyes are opening, he sees the world and he just begins to gush with joy. Give thanks to God. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Would you just look with me at all the things that I can see? Well, why does the the psalmist summons himself to that place of praise? Why? Because he looks at the world around him. And he sees the fingerprints of a wonderfully creative God are absolutely everywhere. It's almost impossible for him to look at anything without finding God guilty of creating it. But the psalmist doesn't stop there, though. Not only does he choose to worship God himself, but he also urges others to join in with the chorus of praise, too. I imagine him again stood at his bedroom window and shouting at the top of his lungs, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him songs, belt out hymns, translate his wonders into music. Honour his name with me, would you, with hallelujahs. It's been great, hasn't it, over recent weeks to clap the NHS and other key workers. And the psalmist here is urging something similar. He's saying, join with me as I clap the creator God in appreciation of all that he's created. Would you cheer with me from your vantage point into his creation? The structure of Psalm 104 is brilliant. The psalmist begins the psalm with his wide-angle lens, and then he zooms right in ever closer as the psalm draws towards an end. The opening verses, the wide-angle view, if you like, verses 1 to 4, are celebrating God's majesty in the celestial world, and they're reminding us that the whole universe and everything beyond it was made so that it could serve the purposes of God and reveal his glory. He's so pleased, isn't he, the psalmist, to to speak of who he's come to know God to be. Picture, if you like, the, the psalmist describing why he thinks God is so great by taking you on a tour of the world that you're seeing for the very first time. He's a bit like a tour guide. He's saying, look at the strikingly bright and warming sunlight. That's what my God wears. Stand out in the open plain with me and look at the expansive beauty. God did that and he stretched it out, stretched it out to be the roof of his tent. Look at the earth from space and see all of these blue waters. That's his house's foundation. And then the tour guide says, well, if you think your car is awesome, well, look at what my God drives. Consider those billowy clouds. That is God's wind powered ride. Now, of course, these descriptions aren't meant for us to pick them apart and discuss how light is his garment and how the, the clouds are God's mode of transport. But these words are intended to to paint a poetic, poetic picture and tell us about our heavenly father. If light is his garment and the sky is the roof of his tent, then how great must God be? Here's a God who is surely worthy of our praise. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand has made, then sings my soul, my saviour, God, to thee. Well, that's verses one to four. But then once the psalmist has introduced us to God in his glorious home, the psalmist zooms in a little bit and the rest of the psalm tells us about how God has opened up his home and he's formed it into a beautiful place where life can exist. Look at verses five to nine. The psalmist speaks of the earth being established on firm foundations. He speaks of it being blanketed with the ocean. He speaks of mountains and valleys and canyons all existing. Why? Because God willed them and God landscaped them into existence. You know, as Kay was reflecting earlier on, I was thinking of various occasions in my life where I've been in absolute awe of God's creative uh, awfulness, wonderfulness. I can think of myself standing at Niagara Falls in a child just blown away by the sight that I was seeing. I think of the mind-blowing vistas of the Arizona desert from a high vantage point and just being awed at how vast God's creation was. I think of myself standing on the top of a volcano in Papua New Guinea with a panoramic view. So much creativity, so much diversity And I wonder if you can think of a similar occasion in your own life. If ever you've visited a different famous location in the world where gigantic mountains tower over us or expansive valleys spread out below us or waterfalls crash in front of you. And of course, you don't even need to go far to to be awed in this way. You can just step out of your front door The psalmist is saying to us here in Psalm 104 that we're fools if we're confronted with these kind of scenes, confronted with such beauty and creativity, if we don't stop to praise God as the artist who's behind it all. Mountains, valleys, waterfalls and islands were all created because God willed them into existence. It's so easy, isn't it, to celebrate the art, but ignore the artist who created it. And no, says the psalmist, he's saying, look, enjoy the art. Of course you should enjoy the art, but don't ignore the artist. Would you please offer him your worship? That's verses 5 to 9. And then as we read on in verses 10 through to 23, the psalmist zooms in just a little bit more. Having focused on the hard landscaping of verses 5 to 9, he starts to marvel at some of the softer landscaping which is lit up by the lights, which are in the sky. Listen to these words, verses 10 to 23. It's worth reading them all. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the human heart, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he has planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers, the high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all of the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, and they seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return, and they lie down in their dens. And then people go out to their work, to their labour, until the evening water and vegetation and livestock, grass, trees, people, birds and other animals here all get a mention. He looks up and then he sees the sun and he sees the moon, which keep track of the seasons and mark out the different parts of our day. And in pointing out all these things, the psalmist is getting very excited about God's infinite wisdom in creating everything with a purpose and with a plan. Everything is interconnected and everything is reliant upon everything else. That's how wonderfully creative our God is. This finely balanced planet just makes him want to say, wow, what kind of a God is it that made all of this possible? And I wonder if you've ever paused even for a moment to consider how much wisdom it would take for one of us to create the world with as much order as ours. Well, think for a moment of the cleverest person that you can think of. Now, of course, I guess you're probably thinking of me right now, but try not to. The immense complexity of our planet is absolutely mind boggling. You know, I'm reminded of that every single time David Attenborough opens up his mouth and speaks about the world that he's observed. But even David Attenborough can't grasp even an inch of how complex this planet really is. Every piece of life that God has created must some way continue growing and living and reproducing. God gives us our food and our water every day. But what about the trillions of other living creatures that he also sustains? What about looking forwards, the thousands of generations that are yet to come and God's taken care even of their needs? Notice with me in verses 10 to 13 that God designed all kinds of mechanisms for bodies of water to exist in all kinds of terrains across the world for all kinds of life. And then the psalmist goes on verses 14 to 15 and points out that God has designed the earth to give special blessings to humankind of oil and wine and and bread for us to enjoy. And then what about in verses 16 to 18? We see all kinds of different life that has homes to live in. God had the foreknowledge to create trees so that the birds could dwell in them. He had the foreknowledge to make sure there were places within the mountains where the goats could hide. Verses 19 to 23 show us that God created the sun and the moon to mark out the times of the day and the seasons so that people could work during the day and that the animals could hunt at night. Now, let me be really honest with you for a moment. If I was in charge of creating the world, I think I probably would have missed some of the detail that God had covered. And then as we move on in the psalm, we get to the psalmist declaration, which comes in verse 24. This is brilliant. He says in verse 24, how many of your works in wisdom you've made all of them. I love the message translation of this verse. It says, what a wildly wonderful world you've created, God. You made it all. With wisdom at your side, you made the earth overflow with your wonderful creations. What a wild, wonderfully wild world, God, you have made. And I can picture the psalmist here looking out across the sea and the sky and the mountains and writing about all this order. And he cannot help but to burst into praise because of everything that he sees before him. We remind ourselves this morning that our wonderfully creative God as catalogued in this psalm is majestic and yet he welcomes souls like me. In Romans chapter 1 verses 20 to 21 the apostle Paul tells us that this the reaction that we see here in the psalmist is exactly the the reaction that created things and God's creation are supposed to evoke within us. They ought to generate faith in an eternally powerful and a divine God. But, says Paul in Romans 1, this faith could be and should be and ought to be more than just a shallow cognitive allowance that God somehow exists and that he's some kind of out there cosmic power. Such recognition, says Paul, it ought to draw us into relationship with him. And that relationship ought to have depth and it ought to have Intimacy. Our God is so wonderfully creative and majestic, and yet here's the mind-blowing truth. He welcomes somebody like me, and he welcomes somebody like you into his presence. The result of God's wisdom in creation and bountiful, bountiful provision is seen in the closing verses of this psalm. This psalm is just screaming, isn't it, with the faithfulness of God. Have a look later at verses 25 to 32. You'll see it there. He faithfully provides food and he gives air to breathe and living creatures know it. And so they constantly look to him um, to sustain them. That's the faithfulness of our God. But then the psalmist offers something which looks a little bit to me like a concluding prayer in verses 33 and 34. And his prayer, quite simply, is that he would continue to sing praise to God for the rest of his life and that the way he lives his life would be pleasing to God. There's no doubt, surely, that God loves and adores his creation. He loves all of it. He loves the clacking, the buzzing, the whistling, the howling, the shouting, the laughing, the weeping cacophony of it all. And so must we. If we're to help save our aching earth, our, our spoiled home, then we, we, we must love it. But we must love the creator of that planet as well. There's a massive challenge here, isn't there, in this psalm about creation care. If our wonderful God made it and if our wonderful God loves it and sustains it, then there's a challenge for us to do the same. But I think, too, we mustn't miss the invitation in Scripture to come into that relationship, into that intimate relationship with the creator. The majestic, transcendent, all-powerful, sovereign, wonderfully creative God invites me and he invites you to know him as daddy, as our heavenly father. This morning God invites you to know him. In Psalm 104 it seems to me the psalmist spotted something which is revealed by his prayer. He spotted that salvation is not just about accepting Jesus as we would understand it into our hearts but rather living for him every single day. God doesn't just want us to say the sinner's prayer and continue with life as we did before, but he wants us to enjoy a personal, intimate, life-changing, life-transforming relationship with him. I love Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 11. He said this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep intimate company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Through Jesus, we are invited to come into a relationship with God. And all, everyone is included in that invitation. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Jesus is calling you and he wants you to come into a relationship with his heavenly father, which is close and which is intimate. The promise of Jesus is you can give your burdens to him and he promises that you will find rest for your soul. Jesus wants us to know and he wants us to rest and he wants us to trust in the same father that he's come to know. He knew his father with closeness and he knew his father with intimacy. And that invitation is there for you. Now, to me, all of this is an amazing thought that God Almighty, our wonderfully creative God, would invite you and he would invite me to know him intimately. I wonder. I wonder if you know him that way.